Hello, listeners, and welcome to We Don't Know What This Is Yet. Today's episode is in two parts. In part one, we'll talk with nonprofit consultant Alyssa Margolin about uncertainty within the state government and nonprofit sectors. Then, in part two, dance artist, choreographer, and New Hampshire's artist laureate Amanda Whitworth takes our interview with Alyssa and uses it as inspiration for a snowy movement piece and her own exploration of uncertainty during precarious times. I'm your host, Robin Fowler. listening to We Don't Know What This Is Yet. If you're new to the show, here's a quick rundown. Each episode of our podcast revolves around a simple theme, uncertainty. We're speaking with our guests about what uncertainty means to them during a time of historic political, social, and public health challenges. Then we hand these interviews over to artists and ask them to listen, reflect, and creatively respond to our guests' experiences in whatever way or medium they choose. Once that's done, we'll talk with the creators about their experiences making this work. What inspired them? What did they relate to? What were their own uncertainties in turning someone's story into something creative and unique? Our first guest today is Elissa Margolin. Elissa has worked with national, statewide, and local nonprofits for over 20 years. Since relocating to New Hampshire in 2004, her firm Margolin Consulting has served organizations like Housing Action New Hampshire, New Hampshire Center for Nonprofits, New Hampshire Voices for Health, New Hampshire Charitable Foundation, American Heart Association, and the New Hampshire Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. Alyssa is also an engaged community leader. She is the current chair of 3S Art Space former chair of the Portsmouth Music and Art Center, a songworks educator for Arts and Reach, a TEDx speaker and volunteer, and a Pecha Kucha presenter. She is also the former campaign manager and political director for U.S. Congressman John Olver and a member of the Massachusetts Bar. And it should be noted, she's an excellent musician and songwriter, too. And welcome to Elissa Margolin. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So today is January 28th. It's a Thursday. It's about noon. It's snowing outside. Beautiful snowy day. Uh, and we're going to talk about uncertainty yet again, as we're all talking about so much <laughs> throughout our lives these days. We're certain that we're speaking about uncertainty. Yes. <laughs> that is one thing you can be certain of, is that there are things that you will be uncertain about. Working with nonprofit organizations in relation to state government, um, what are the ways that nonprofits and state governments are already primed for uncertainty? And in what ways did they have to make major changes or adapt to the bigger uncertainties that we've experienced over the past 10 to 12 months? So they're mission oriented, right? So instead of the goal being to generate profit, the goal is to execute on a mission. Um, in the charitable sector, you know, they tend to serve you know various interests, whether that be social services or conservation or arts related. So it is a it is a diverse group of corporations with varied interests. And one thing I'll say generally about the nonprofit sector, you know, particularly in New Hampshire, is that they're used to being pretty nimble. As you know, New Hampshire is a pretty small government, right? No, no sales tax, no income tax. And 
in a way, nonprofits play a larger role than they would say in neighboring states because they provide these essential services that in another state that a state agency might provide. And they navigate this kind of low revenue landscape pretty well. They're set up so that they can expand and respond to say new federal resources or you know and contract when things are are different. So the good news is that they're no strangers to these types of crises that they're led by people who are like all right bring it on what do we got now we'll do it. Uh, so I think that's what's nice about the sector that you know other sectors may not have been as prepared for. And with the preparations, what were some of the biggest challenges of uncertainty? Well, you know, from, you know, looking at the sector as a whole, from an operational standpoint, you know, obviously everyone was really concerned about, you know, how are we going to keep the doors open? Because, you know, say for an arts-related nonprofit, right, if you're relying on programming revenue or ticket revenue, and all of a sudden you shut your doors and people can't sit next to each other to watch your show, you know, how are you going to continue to keep the roof over your head and keep people employed and all of that stuff. Um, then there's the the interesting dynamic in that from the social services standpoint, these times required an increase in services. So you had to increase your mission as you were losing personnel and losing revenue. You know, and then there were we there as relief packages started to make their way through the process. You have to figure out, well, how do I comply? How, how, do, how do I apply to begin with? How do these entities apply? How do we comply with the needs? How do we report? You had to be really alert. I, I personally found myself in a state of hypervigilance for like a solid maybe seven months. You know, when you're kind of wired to be a do-gooder and a helper, and I'm not alone. I mean, I know there's so many of us out there, but these experiences make you feel like, okay, what do we got to do? And there's only so long you can sustain that um, before you start to get the Zoom headaches and the... Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. We all know the video chat headaches that (laughs) you get after a while. Um, So the making these adjustments, were these adjustments stressful for people or are are they, um, you know, is the nonprofit world full of more adaptable people or were they, how, how did it affect you? Well, I mean, I generally tried to fuel my own state of hypervigilance through the good nature and energy of my colleagues. Um, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but in the center of the chaos, I every day would come across incredibly inspiring people. So even when I was fatigued and felt frustrated by the latest barrier, the late, you know, the latest obstacle, I would see someone else just figure, say, okay, well, how do we get over this one? You know, how do we dismantle this challenge? And I would think, okay, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And I can't give up on them. And, and so I found, and then as when despair would grow, when, you know, when it seemed like we were experiencing so much political instability and the, and the rancor was so intense, I would find so much kindness, you know, in a, in a meeting about what would seemingly be boring about administering some resources for homeless shelters to, um, to provide decompression so that they could lower the census in the buildings and keep people safe. 
and we would be reviewing applications or something. And I would think, look at just these wonderful people in their homes gathered together to try to, you know, and, and so I would try to tap into that as much as possible so that I wasn't swallowed in a pit of despair because that was always, always an option. (laughs) It was always there and it was, it was there for all of us. But when I saw someone else who was continuing to, you know, march on, I thought, well, okay, I can do it too. I've got giant headaches at work. I could be exposed to, you know, potential diseases. Maybe I should give up, but I didn't really see that. I didn't see like a mass exodus. I saw resilience, uh, commitment and, uh, and flexibility. It's so interesting how, you know, this has given us so much, uh, in many ways, a peek into uh, everyone else's lives a little bit more too, you know, in that way of like, literally, we're getting to see into everybody's homes through these Zoom windows and everything. But also, you know, you just have to be more aware of what's happening outside of your normal routine within work or whatever that small community you create with people. It's, it's so interesting. Um, what, so are people, you know, what's the, what's the kind of air among your colleagues right now? Is it, is it uh, optimism, pessimism for the future? What's the feeling in the air right now? Um, I would say that there is a fatigue, you know, just because I think this has gone on a lot longer than we all thought, but, um, there is, a sense of hope that we're, we're going to climb out of this and we'll find ourselves intact and having learned a lot of lessons. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say we're not tired because I see it in the zoo on the zooms every day, you know, this, it's not a groundhog day, but it's a, there, there's this, there's this little bit of, I don't know, it's, it's not fear. I guess it really is more of, you know, folks are just uh, tiring of this, constant urgency, the state of constant urgency, I would say. But with the, you know, the vaccine on the horizon and and perhaps the the political challenges uh, diminishing, we might make it through all of this. What are the kind of lasting changes that you expect to happen, if any? I don't, you know, are we going to all have a collective uh, case of PTSD? You know, I think probably, right? I mean, there's the kind of the disease anxiety piece. I didn't, I never thought of myself that way. You know, I'd love to give sweaty people a hug and do a hot yoga thing. And I always thought that that was, you know, a place where we build resilience. But I, when I went to yoga last night, you know, I did it with an N95 on in a hot room the whole time, thinking that that's the right thing to do for public health at this point. Um, so I think there may be that. I just, in my work, if I have to keep an open heart and, and, um, I really need to have compassion for people. You know, I gave a Ted talk on bipartisanship on honoring the, you know, both sides, you know, both sides of the aisle and really understanding that it's, it's through uh, debate that we come out with good solutions, but there are, there's one thing to debate. There's another thing to, to start questioning things like, you know, people's right to be on the planet or what is, you know, what is, what is, what qualifies you to be a human being or not. And there's some really scary things that were flying around. And, um, but I, even for my colleagues who may have found themselves endorsing this at some 
point, I, I just can't, I can't hate because I won't be able to do this work. I have to have compassion for whatever just happened, whatever this was. Um, some people calling it like a mess psychosis or, you know, I, I recognize the danger of giving oxygen to the darkest tendencies that exist in everyone. And I want to go back to a place where we can have thoughtful debate and conversation. And I don't want to find myself in a place thinking, oh, were you one of them? Because I don't want to be your friend anymore. I just, I, if I'm going to have to check out of this job, if I'm going to be like that. So I'm going to try to, to continue to come at things with, uh, you know, heart centered and to see people as flawed as we all are and, and to try to rebuild. Have you needed to work harder to keep your heart open like that and stay compassionate? Oh yeah. definitely. <laughs> what does that look like for you? What is that? Uh, what's the personal work like there? I've definitely had my, my fair share of, uh, unfollows, you know? <laughs> that's okay that's not, that doesn't count you can unfollow you can mute as many people um, as you need to <laughs> um you know, zoom has has given a whole new dimension to the eye roll because you used to be in a meeting like you'd have to control your eye roll but you know you're still like a good distance from someone but now with zoom we're in someone's face like we're yeah. so close and we're watching them process what we're saying and um, it's bringing up like insecurities when, you know, since I run a lot of meetings and I'm so in everyone's face, if I say something and I can see, I can see right away if Someone they disagree, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> I think it helps to have a performer background, you know, in this space, but you notice like as some, we convene meetings that have, you know, sometimes over a hundred people in our little boxes and our little waffles. And I noticed there's a whole contingent, you know, they just shut off their video and I think <laughs> that's okay. Like we yeah. Right. Not every, we don't always need to be so on. We can just listen. It's, it's all right. So in, in your personal life, how, how has your daily routine changed? Oh, quite a bit. I mean, I, um, normally this time of year would be going to, um, Concord at this, you know, I'd be commuting, which I used to complain about all the time. Now I feel bad about complaining. I want to just go anywhere. Um, so I would find myself, you know, at the state house, usually like three or four days a week, this, when the legislature's in session and in between hearings, you sometimes, you know, you do work in the hallways and that's where you, that's where the, the term lobbying was coined because a lot of work does actually get done in the hallways. So you see colleagues from other interest groups and you say, Hey, did you hear about that bill? Or I was talking to Senator so-and-so and she mentioned this and I just thought you should know. Um, so we're not doing that. So you have to be a lot more deliberate. I mean, on my computer all the time and I, stepped out of my yoga studio for about eight weeks and felt that in my body and in my head. So there's that. I will say I have given a lot of time to music because that's, uh, so I have been studying cello and put a lot more hours, uh, on the cello and been doing some recording and some other stuff to help fill that and nurture that space. But, uh, yeah, the daily, just 
out and about and seeing people. And then there's also like you, sometimes these Zooms will get lined up like one after another. So in a hearing room, I'd go in, I'd probably check my phone for email. I'd pay attention to bills that aren't mine. Then my bill would come up. I would testify, get up, walk away, see 10 people, you know, go to the cafeteria. Now it's just their back to back to back this in, with this kind of intensity. And so no wonder that it's hard to shut off. And wh- how do we shut off? Like we're shutting off with like Netflix. like More screens. Which, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some really impressive stuff that I've dug into, but still it's too much. You know, it's definitely too much screen stuff. So this is a question we try to ask everyone. Uh, can you just walk us through everything you did yesterday? Everything I did yesterday. Um, I'm like, how, I'll just be honest. I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, I had a meeting with the Governor's Council on Housing Stability. Interesting because it's a appointed position. It's subject to New Hampshire's right to know law. You have to leave space for public comment, and we're all on Zoom, and you have to vote by Zoom. So I spent some time doing that. Simultaneously, my client was testifying in favor of a bill that would have raised the threshold for nonprofits so they didn't require a comprehensive financial which audit. Would save most New Hampshire nonprofits like 15 grand. She was testifying i'm on zoom trying to pay attention to my council meeting i'm listening to her hearing on my phone when i really want to hear what she was saying i would like lift the phone in my ear but then try to shut off my video in between so that's like a life of a consultant multitasking but she did great and then i uh, went through the legislative calendar found out that a lot of bills have hearings next week you know all of a sudden require like activity and a learning from opposition that motivates you to you know push even harder i worked on two original tunes with a friend of mine from my band We're working on a new project and so we passed a lot of voice memos back and forth and kind of a solid two hours on cello went back to my first yoga class in a long time i've mentioned that i wore my mask i felt so good came home my husband had made pho which was delicious and we ate that and we watched netflix we watched broad church you know that was my day oh that sounds like a great day I- packed with <laughs> Fact with everything you need. <laughs> um, what so what? What's something that you're uncertain about right now, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life? Um, I, I'm uncertain about what it will be like when we can all be together again. Mm. I mean, I don't know what will we keep. You know, how much more, how much of Zoom will we keep? How much will we crave being together to a point where we acknowledge it would be easier if we jumped on Zoom, but like, let's not, you know, um, I, I, I can't wait to work a day away at White Heron Cafe on Islington Street and just you know, eat a muffin really slowly and walk people, watch people walk by and spend a lot of money, you know, with a barista. And I just like, I, those are, it's just those little things that I miss so much. And I, so I don't know what it'll be like after. Um, and, and I wonder how sustained people's attention will be to politics. And then I personally, want to know what it'll be like for me to turn my own volume down. Like I, I can't work at this in this kind of hyper uh, vigilant state forever. It's not good for anybody and it'll burn me out. So 
I want to find balance again. And balance, I think, happened naturally by just moving around, <laughs> driving places, doing other things. So I hope that that normalcy doesn't require a lot of planning and that it just happens. Mm. Is there something you're looking forward to other than eating a muffin at my <laughs> <Lloyd> Heron? <laughs> I am really looking forward to going to see music and seeing really talented people play. And I just really, I miss that music scene. Like I feel like it actually was starting not to um, go out and see friends work as much for whatever reason, age or whatever. And now I really regret every show I didn't go to (laughs) and just really, You know, even if you go out and it's like a frustrating night or whatever, I just, I just miss being out and I just miss seeing people exchange and I really, I I miss that. And that's the hardest to recreate. I appreciate this opportunity through your podcasting to talk with really smart and creative people and just meet new folks. But I think that's been the hardest to Mm. recreate in all of this. And now, Amanda Whitworth. Amanda is a dance and interdisciplinary artist who leads and consults on projects in technology, design, wellness, business, and public education. She's the current New Hampshire Artist Laureate and serves as the Director of Dance at Plymouth State University, where she has integrated interdisciplinary thinking and collaborative performance into the curriculum. She's worked as a performer of dance and physical theater all around the world. She's been one of the New Hampshire Union leaders 40 Under 40 and is also the co-founder of Artisan Inc., a nonprofit organization bringing artists and doctors together to innovate within the healthcare system. Amanda responded to Alyssa's interview with a movement piece. In it, she's alone in the woods, surrounded by frosty pine trees. She balances on them precariously, climbs higher than most of us would dare, and contorts her body through crevices and cracks in the earth. Even though it's an experiment, and as Amanda calls it, a rough draft, it's interesting, engaging, and surprisingly relevant. We suggest you check out a recording of Amanda's piece, Exercises in Uncertainty, before listening to the second part of our show. So go ahead and click the link in the episode description. I'll give you a second to do that now if you like. Okay, all up to speed. Here's Amanda Whitworth. So welcome, Amanda, to We Don't Know What This Is Yet. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so uh, you you provided us with a, a, a very a wonderful, excellent response to um, uh, to Alyssa's interview about uncertainty. Our conversation. Uh, what were what were what aspects of Alyssa's interview were interesting to you? What what were the things that you latched onto there? You know, there were several. Uh, The first was at the very beginning of her interview, she talked about the nimbleness of which nonprofit organizations have to move through the world and how that ability to sort of make themselves like chameleons, depending on the situation, really resonated with me in terms of uh, being and existing as an artist in New Hampshire. So there are some really 
similar constraints. Um, Just like the nonprofit sector, we do have um, restricted or zero revenue streams (laughs) at times. Um, And so we have to be highly creative and we have to persevere through a lot of challenges in order to make a livelihood here and fund the things that we do. Um, So that really stood out to me and her conversation around the energy she feels from people who do similar work, um, whether that's colleagues um, in her work with housing advocacy or that, that becomes collaborators in her art practice of music making. It's very similar uh, for me, right? Mm. I am highly energized by the people who I share um, an interest in, whether that's dance, theater, you know, technology, drawing, education, whatever it is. Those people um, have the ability to lift up my spirits and inspire my practice. In creating this piece, what were some of the uncertainties that you personally faced? Uh, and what were some of the things that you were certain about uh, in your creation of this piece? I was certain about nothing in this piece. <laughs> and um, the primary reason is because I don't feel comfortable um, sharing that raw of a process so broadly. Um I know that many artists have harnessed the power of social media and use their um, use those tools in order to generate interest in their process or product. But for me, that's an environment I don't feel comfortable in. Mm. And so um, giving something this raw where like quite literally, I am putting myself in experiments and seeing what would happen isn't that comfortable of a space for me. I mean, to share publicly, it's totally comfortable to do in terms of a process and share with collaborators, but like just to release it to (laughs) the world is not, not what I do. (laughs) That's what I mean. That's a major part of what I found so uh, engaging and interesting about it was um, as an audience as a viewer, it feels like I'm making the discoveries along with you, even though I'm just sitting here staring at a screen, I'm watching you have these explorations, have these, oh my God, is she going to, like, there's the moment where you're, that giant tree, that long tree trunk and you, and you see all the snow on it. So, you know, it's the first time that you've tried climbing up, but I know you haven't done this before. And you start at the bottom and I'm like, is she going to make it all the way up this tree trunk? And you go and you go, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's it's very engaging to watch. So yeah, really, I did really not cool. make it all the way up. I <laughs> well, am, you cut it before you fell, so it worked. <laughs> yeah, I am like super terrified of heights, which was something I played with. So I was taking the footage on my really crappy old iPhone, so you can't see the scale. But where I was at that tree, I was probably 20 feet or more up at the middle of the tree. And I was like low key panicking. So, (laughs) um, that was part of the process. I tried to like scale up where, how high I was and yeah, it was sort of stupid. I was like, you know, this is treacherous in some points of this doing it by myself, but you know, it's fine. Good art is dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know. Uh, so for you know, for you with your relationship with your audience and and generally artists, the relationship with their audience. Do you think artists' relationship with social media has changed um, in that you're presenting a lot more raw things, maybe? your audience? You know, I don't know that it's like changed necessarily, but I think it's being used as a performance space, Mm. um, uh, very, uh, in an intentional way right now. Right. So before when it was primarily a mechanism of communication, um, you know, maybe five years ago, now it really is an intentional monetized space for performance. And I think that, um, that's really, really cool. Um, I also think that, um, as we understand art and art making, there are lots of spaces in which performance can thrive and live. And so artists have to make choices about, um, how they experiment with those spaces and where they feel how they feel about sharing bits and pieces of themselves inside the different formats. Mm, mm. But I mean, that's sort of like, you know, in essence too, like kind of what Alyssa was saying, like you, right. There's like this, the world is literally cracking apart. Right. And inside of this space, you have to figure out where your personal threshold is for, um, empathy, if I'm going to be really honest, where your threshold is for, um, work and, or what, what you call work. And I think that, that, you know, there's parallels there. So it's interesting. Um, so going back to the specifics of this, uh, project, this response, what, how long did it take you to put together? How did you work on it? Did you have this idea or did you just go out into the forest with a video camera and say, let's make something happen? Mm-hmm. Um, in true Amanda Whitworth fashion, I was prepared to make this beautiful short film. And then I was like, nope, nope, that's not, that's one, not the mission of the project. And two, um, that is not what's within my bandwidth. So I just, um, I've been having really cool conversations just for fun with people who work in sculpture and also people who work in theater with, um, specifically with, um, digital technology as, a, another character. And from those conversations, what I'm learning about is their kind of design process where they like set up an experiment, they build prototypes, and then they iterate. It's it's design thinking. And so all I decided to do was set up an experiment in uncertainty. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go out in the cold. I'm going to try to get on things that are high. And I'm going to, and I'm just going to film it informally. So that was literally the, the constraints that I worked in. Um, it, I did it in one day. So I went out twice in one day and, um, because I needed like a break to like a mental break. So, you know, I, I do spend time outside, but though the trees and the landscape was like literally hard cracking and slippery like every time I stepped on a tree it would crack and there's ice under the snow I mean I'm like sort of in shape 
But like that was hard because you can't hold on because when you're holding on to a trunk, there's literally a sheet of ice. So like my body needed a break um, from it. Uh, so yeah, that that's that's how it how it went. I hiked up uh, my house. It like butts up against a bunch of land that's um, in conservation, and so I like hiked out maybe like half a mile um, to, to like where the snowmobile trail. Um, ends and I can kind of look over this hill where I knew there was kind of these really neat features with the trees and things and I took my dog so that was cool and uh, yeah I just played around so <laughs> yeah I was putting it together to send you I was like I don't know is this <laughs> I, I'm uncertain I, if this is what they want <laughs> I really enjoyed watching it I'll, I'll, okay, I'll keep good. saying it and I and um, I think it just it just captured that feeling of uncertainty, uh, but perseverance too, at the same time, which I think is a big theme of being able to uh, navigate uncertain ground nimbly, mm -hmm. <laughs> which yeah. uh, you like, I mean, even if I didn't hear the, even if I didn't participate in the conversation uh, with Alyssa, then I would still get that feeling from watching that, that piece that you created. Very yeah. cool. Um, I did, you know, Rob and I will just add that, you know, Alyssa chatted s sort of about like herself and the, the political climate, um, and about a feeling of this sort of like, um, unlocking of seeing people in some of their darkest spaces or, and I felt really compelled to go do something alone. Mm. Right. To set myself up inside of an experiment. I mean, it, it was safe, I guess. Right. Like in certain certain ways. But mm -hmm. to be alone and try to move through something that I didn't exactly know what I was doing or what was going to happen and butt up a little bit against fear in a space where I could back away from it. Right. So like heights, that's a huge thing for me. Right. Like, yeah. you know, as a performer, you travel a lot, but I'm like terrified of an airplane, but I have to get on one. Right. Like regularly. So, um, that was something, there's something about that, like bumping up against that fear and doing that alone felt important to, um, just these experiments in response to Alyssa's conversation do you find that your creative habit in general has changed because of the circumstances of last year um yeah quite literally i'm alone a lot um mm -hmm. i really enjoy being in a collaborative process with artists from different disciplines <clears throat> and i cannot do that obviously right at the moment. So yeah. there's a lot of solo work going on and that's okay. I'm getting used to and more comfortable with making work in my home space and over uh, zoom or any other kind of digital platform. That's become something I've adapted to. Um, but I still, hmm, how do I put this? For me and my process, the priority is still liveness. So 
when this is all said and done, I believe that I will have, a, I am gaining a deeper understanding of tools that can support my process, my growth, my artistry, but I still am committed to creating stuff for a live space. Very cool. Uh, did you learn anything from making this? I learned that it's okay to share in first draft form and that I am surprised that it was well received, but maybe shouldn't have been. <clears throat> I also realized that I have so much experimental footage on my Gmail that I needed, <laughs> my Google Drive that I needed more space. And I, it allowed me to sort of delve into some, you know, cause I'm always as a dancer, I'm always capturing snippets of my body in motion and I archive them so I can go back and maybe something I did two years ago could be a compelling phrase of movement for a project now. And I have a lot of those files and I did learn or, or it allowed me to look at those files as something of beauty as they are, um, mm. in the same way that maybe my finished polished, uh, performances are, it's just a, through a different lens. Oh yeah, totally agree. As, um, as someone who gets to work in that process of, uh, in a, in a theater capacity, you know, as a director or stage manager, um, I, I, th I often think like that viewing this process is just as valid as viewing the final product, if not more so. Um, it's just, uh, if there are, if there was a way to package those little moments, because, you know, you don't want to, nobody wants to sit down and watch an entire right. five hour rehearsal. Certainly that is boring. But right. if you found a way to um, distill down those moments of discovery and, and pure creation, mm -hmm. uh, pure, unexpected, just moments, it, it is, those are just some of the moments that truly capture art and creation in a mm -hmm. totally unique way. Um, and again, I think you did that on film here in a very cool way it's very human very personal like mm -hmm. it it felt so real <laughs> and it was real that's yeah. why it felt real so go, going personal going human what's something that you're looking forward to either personally or professionally i'm looking forward to the thaw of winter i am looking forward to the end of the academic term where hopefully I'll have a couple days where I can take a breath. And um, I am hopeful and I am hopeful and I am ready to continue being present as a dance artist um, here in New Hampshire and uh, help advocate for all the rest of us artists who make quality valued important, essential work. 
I couldn't have said it better myself. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was the, the, the thaw. I was just thinking yesterday it was so warm and rainy and wet. And then that smell of like the snow melting just gives, gave me that feeling oh. of spring is coming. And now today, of course, it's wind advisory and back to the single digits outside. I so know. it's whatever. But yesterday it smelled like spring and I, it gave me hope. I mean, like <laughs> a hamburger on the grill. I'm ready. I'm there. <laughs> yes. I'm there. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again for joining us today, Amanda. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Even more importantly, please tell a friend. You can follow New Hampshire Theatre Project on all the socials through the links in the episode description, and there you'll also find a link to our website, where you can find information on upcoming programming and even donate to support our continuing work. This podcast is brought to you with the support of the Evelyn L. Y. Jones Fund of the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation, as well as our audience. If you have a story to share, you can get in touch through the We Don't Know What This Is Yet page on our website at nhtheaterproject.org. And if you want to explore each of the featured artists and the work they're created for our show, please be sure to follow us on social media. Again, links in the description. This podcast is a production of NHTP and the We Don't Know What This Is Yet Project. Our show is produced and edited by C.J. Lewis, who also wrote our theme music, and hosted by me, Robin Fowler. And this week's episode, as well as Amanda's piece, Experiments in Uncertainty, features music by Gregory Dillon. Thanks to everyone who contributed to this week's episode of the show, and there's one thing you can be certain of, at least for now, we'll see you next week.